Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, darlings. It's Derek. Before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to say Kyler and I support the Black Lives Matter movement and stand in solidarity with everyone fighting for justice and equality. We encourage you listening to do something, anything, to keep the momentum going, whether that's make donations to memorial funds or policy reform organizations, read up about class and race and police brutality, make your voice heard to politicians, especially in places where law enforcement is killing unarmed black people, make sure black people and other people of color are vital parts of your communities, IRL and otherwise. You can support black-owned businesses, call out your racist family members, vote, 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 vote. Do as much as you can and then do a little more and keep doing it that's key make this as much of a part of your routine as watching a 1980 soap opera that did not introduce a black series regular until the fourth season okay we got to change the culture we must change the culture and we can all do better all of us especially privileged white people who you know drink champagne Hello and welcome to Dynasty As They Want to Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host and husband, Kyler K. Jafari. Hi, ho party people. Hi. Well, I wanted to start off the episode at the top with some reader mail. We got a message in the mail. Oh, boy. This is an email that comes to us from uh, listener Tony. He went to nastypodcast.com to write us a little note. Subject, Jeff's office. Dear Kyler and Derek, he spelled our names right, which is like a huge Ultimate win. stalker. <laughs> no, I was I was applauding his effort because we have really weird fucking first names. Thanks, mom and dad. 
and uh, it's hard to spell them, but he spelled them right. Anyway. Wait, I've, who's mommy and who's daddy? No, no, no. Our moms and dads oh. before uh, cursing us. I was getting worried. Weird first names. Not We don't have the same mom and dad. Now, that would be an episode of Dynasty. I've been enjoying your Dynasty podcast every week uh, and intrigued to hear your thoughts about the decor in Jeff's office. I've always wondered about the modern art reclining nude sculpture and was trying to find the inspiration. It looks like Henry Moore, but Kyler was going to say who who he thought the sculpture was made or inspired by and then couldn't remember or aka I think I might have cut you off on that episode anyway do you have any thoughts and thanks for the podcast Tony what were you gonna say do you know Kyler no it probably was Henry Moore I mean it's definitely the like big brutalist sculptural style that swept the European continent in the late 70s and sort of made its way into department store knockoff you know items available for purchase yeah in america so you know i'm sure that's what it was inspired by obviously i don't think they have henry moore sculptures in that size no so in jeff's office tony because i appreciate your message so much i did do some investigation and i uh, screenshotted the sculpture now here's what's interesting maybe it appears in later episodes but the the last few scenes that we've had in jeff's office now that it's been remodeled by his wicked brother-in-law there's one instance where adam comes in there and uh in this week's episode joseph comes for a visit and the sculpture is not there so maybe they moved it for the way they were shooting but when kirby comes to visit it was you can from the live. clearly see it yeah maybe it's real but no i don't think it is an actual henry moore i think well no, i don't right. think he ever worked in small scale here's the thing the way it's shot you kind of don't see the bottom so it could sort of be laying down and lying down be one of those lying no yeah, these are really honest sculptures like uh, they're very truthful you in know their you've form. been to college i think it's probably just a case of a knockoff because henry moore had been working for a long time before the 80s and obviously was very well known so I think it was a knockoff, well, but I couldn't even figure out. I think the eighties was a time when people with a little bit of money or a lot of bit of money adapting taste. I mean, but this is like what the bourgeois does, right? They they don't have taste; they just acquire taste. And you know, what Henry Moore was like doing shit in the the thirties, forties, fifties. I mean, I, I think he kind of exploded in the sixties, but yeah, you know, by the seventies he was like mass produced art, almost like Andy Warhol or something. So like every corporate structure had like this massive blob with a hole in the center courtesy of henry moore i mean we have him to thank for all of this like ugly oversized art in front of you know any corporate office park now so thank you 80s yes well thank you also to tony for the question i love it when you guys write in and really want to i'm glad to know that everybody else is in tune to this just as much as we are in some cases probably more so yeah no i mean i had it takes more than four eyes to see all of the stuff on the screen so i i appreciate the call outs yeah well in our case six eyes because you do wear spectacles but yeah good eye tony and um and let us know if there's anything else as we travel along on our journey through all nine seasons of Dynasty. If there's anything all nine that you're them. interested in, the other thing I was when I was going through and looking, we we already talked about the the bull the bird sculpture, uh, whatever you what do you call that? I call it a birds in flight sculpture. I don't know. I don't know if there's a formal title for them, but. Uh, yeah. They were sort of just a uh, cliche at that point. The other modern art, uh, there's a couple of paintings that looks by the same painter. I, I don't 
think it's attributed to anybody I think that's legitimate. A pictorial representation of the order of Jeff's mind. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it is because he's clearly still going cuckoo because of whatever the hell Adam Carrington put in the paint. Do we want to tell everybody what we're enjoying while we're talking about this week's episode, The Locket? You tell them. I don't know what this stuff is. Well, for this week's episode, we're just kind of keeping it simple. We're having a nice glass of white wine. What is this again? It's vegan. I don't know. It's like weird. I never think like wine needs to be vegan. So whatever it is, it's delicious, crisp, light, and delightful. And it's so. from France. Vans de France. Just like Kirby Anders. Yeah, and we're having it with some, you know, brie, which you can never leave leave out on the counter long enough. It cannot be soft enough. Like, I, I want brie to be almost liquid, but not quite. You know, I, I always think about Janice Dickinson when I eat brie. Because I, what do you think about her? <laughs> well, I love her. Uh, I I worked on a on one season of America's Next. I thought Top you were going to say you worked on Janice Dickinson. No, but lots of people have. No, she's the real deal. I uh, yeah, I worked on America's Next Top Model. It was like the second season, I think. And uh, I'll never forget. There was a big hunk of brie at craft services one day before one of those uh, judging segments, and she Very went judgy. over and grabbed it and ate this slice of brie like it was a piece of pizza was it as big as a piece of pizza no no no. it wasn't that big but it was like a fucking real slice of brie Mm -hmm. and uh she just nom nom nommed on that honka honka brie yeah (laughs) i was like i I couldn't believe it but i was also sort of like enamored with the fact that she just didn't give any fucks and was like i'm hungry there's a big hunk of brie there and it's melty and creamy and delicious in my mouth so the other thing is is i'll never forget driving her around downtown manhattan and there was like uh there was like a fight or something like a domestic disturbance happening and she was like pull over and she rolled the window down and started like yelling at this this couple that were having a fight she like leaned her skinny little ass out the window and was like don't talk to her like that and then i think she gave the woman some money or something i don't know she was a character I love her. Let's just say Brie is an affordable luxury. It's $4 and you feel special when you buy it and when you eat it. You just got to leave it But it ain't caviar and champagne. Let's get real. Well, I'm going to cut myself off another little slice of Brie, put it on these real fancy crackers that we got, and then we're going to get into this week's episode, The Locket. If you have to cut Brie as opposed to spreading Brie... It's not warm enough yet. Well, maybe I'll spread my legs before I spread the brie. Oh, that's hot. Today's installment of Dynasty As They Want To Be is brought to you by Audible. Audible is offering our darlings a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast. That's N-A-S-T-Y podcast to browse their unrivaled selection of audio programs. You can actually listen to the late great goddess Diane Carroll read her autobiography, Legs of the Last to Go, where she dishes on Dynasty and details her struggle being the first African-American actress to start in her own television series. There's so much material in Audible that's magnifying black voices. It's great. To get started, simply go to audibletrial.com slash nasty podcast, or you can text nasty podcast to 500 500.
What a firecracker this week's episode was. Really? You thought so? I thought it was just pretty even keel, nicely done, more satisfactory than some of the episodes that have come before this season. No, I really liked you it think because, it's a firecracker because it was a firecracker because it moved the plot forward. You know, this whole oil rig blowing up oh, and yeah. Steven might be. This, was, this dead. was definitely an episode of information management. Yeah, it, was... it moved us forward. We had um, visits from some characters we haven't seen we've had some characters that haven't had scenes together and a couple of episodes come together and then we had some character development from the newbies that made me kind of like respect them and kind of get into them a little bit more and then you know we're keeping our globe trotting trend going because there's a a trip to southwest asia so I was I was here for it. Like I was really on the edge of my seat wondering what was going to be Wait, happening. were you really on the edge of your seat? Well, mostly because I've been eating so much during corona times that I've kind of gained a few you pounds. You can't even fit all the way into the couch anymore. I can't. No. Well, anyway, I guess we just need to talk about Stephen Carrington being presumed dead. Yeah, everybody seems pretty um, hunky-dory about he's dead, so... There's that aspect. But Blake is the one shining asshole through all of the misery that says, no, no, I don't believe that. Because, you know, Blake is doing his usual. It's true because he says it's true. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can sort of knock him for a lot of things, but I wouldn't even call this optimism. It's just more like Blake wills it to be true, which is very much in opposition to most certainly his own wife, Crystal, who can't like fucking open a can without breaking a nail. But then you've also got Alexis who kind of has her sort of roundabout schemes or maybe more effective than what Crystal's up to. But Blake's the one that's just sort of like, I'm going to make it happen, and it's true. And, you know, he's very much that sort of, like, obnoxious male stereotype in a way. But uh, well, as much without as I, him, the story would not advance. So I, I guess I kind of acknowledge that side of it. Yeah, I mean, as much as I appreciate his optimism, I'm kind of really pissed off at the fact that how he brushes everybody off in this episode and takes this on as his personal mission, even though he's the one who caused, I think, is the most most responsible for this rift now alexis doesn't agree with me but i think he's most responsible for the rift between steven and then everybody else the well the ultimate the thing was about steven's problem with his own homosexuality slash bisexuality gender fluidity whatever the hell it is and well it's not gender fluidity i'm pretty sorry, sure he identifies fluidity, as male yeah which that's an unfortunate term sorry to say that um well because it sounds like you know sexual juices no, words matter. All that. no uh, yeah you're right all this kind of goes back to the original problem between blake and steven which is just that steven can't reconcile his own personal life whatever that may be and blake is the driving force Bla in that. yeah blake's really the one who not only is the driving force but drives him out of the house and it turns into what we have right now yeah i mean there's this sort of explosion addendum. in the Polynesian seas and we got to go figure out who's dead and alive you know at at one point, Alexis does blame Crystal for bringing Sammy Joe into the house and him having a relationship with her, but she's just grasping at straws. That's not why. But he Crystal left. is like so easy to blame because I mean, 
in a weird way, this well, at is... least she fucking stands up for herself to Alexis, and she's like, "Look, I know you're upset because your son's probably dead, but that doesn't have a goddamn thing to do with us right now." It's interesting though because Alexis and Crystal can have their moments, and Alexis doesn't need to get in a fight to have her way. Crystal does, and so here instead of crystal like you know taking alexis to the lily pond to duke it out she just kind of says words and for some reason crystal's words are never as powerful as alexis's words alexis why did sam and joe leave this house because you bought her off you paid her to get out of stephen's life yes well the fact is if she had stayed maybe they could have made a go of it made a go of it there was nothing between them there was oh really what? Love. Yes. A very fragile but special kind of love. Yeah, I think in this instance, Alexis was totally out of line and Crystal was right. You know what else was out you of line? You know why? Because Alexis makes decisions and moves forward. And that way she's a little bit like Blake. Crystal just like kind of mopes by the pool. I love that in the second season, the the crazed fortune teller identifies Crystal as the, the queen of cups, right? Because she's just like hanging out mirror, mirror on the wall, like looking in mirrors, looking in the pool, moping about. She's like hanging out with the globe in the library which is this round globule you know thing we know what a globe is mysterious well look here this is a lot of blake's fault because look fallon number one wants to join him on the the trip to southeast asia to try to find steven and he says no crystal wants to join him and he says no alexis wants to join him and he says no to all three of these women who can provide emotional support and intellectual support but what's the difference between alexis well, Blake and doesn't the other have emotions two? and he has his own intellectual support okay i guess that's fair but these other women especially fallon and alexis have a vested interest in this because it's their brother and son but the my point is the difference between the three of these women is that alexis does not need permission from a man to do anything and so she figures it all out and books the same flight unfortunately she cannot book a first class seat but she gets on the same goddamn plane regardless well, no fault of her own as she points out to the stewardess of the first class lounge excuse me madam but this is our first class lounge but it's not my fault this airline didn't have enough space to sell me a first class ticket i'm looking for someone you'll have to speak to our chief steward Alexis, what in the devil are you doing here? You know, I used to think all of these rules with like TSA and stuff was because of 9-11, but I'm starting to think it's because of Alexis Carrington, man. She just fucking foists her way into first class and starts screaming at Blake. And but that's the ultimate self-defense. I mean, <laughs> you didn't have enough first class tickets. That's not my problem. I, <laughs> I could have bought this whole fucking plane, but you wouldn't let me. So here I am, first class lounge, looking for Blake. I love when she can confronts Blake on the way to Bali that like <laughs> all the other people in the first class lounge are like so offended by their altercation that they leave like could you imagine playing that much for a plane ticket that you're so offended that you like get I don't think they're offended I think there's like there's so many sparks flying they they don't know how to process it they have to leave it's well they're like much. physically touching each other like she reaches for him and then he pushes her back it's like uh is anybody gonna press that button 
I guess they didn't have those buttons. The back eject then. button? No, no. The button for the the cheap rewind button. The record over this tape button. <laughs> no, none of those. I do buttons. like that when he pushes her back into her seat. She does this like little fling to make sure her hair gets back into position. Oh yeah, but it doesn't take much because Alexis so never much wants to look spray. bad, even in a fight. You know. <laughs> no, good for her. No, I mean that's part of the reason I love this episode is the fact that they're kind of thrust together again on an international journey and this time it's more important than her like you know trying to make it seem like they're fucking and you know ruining his relationship with crystal no no she can leave that up to crystal this time because here we go again blake's jealous of crystal and you know crystal well okay it starts with crystal having her abandonment issues and you know she's like mirror mirror on the wall and then she like gets that watery flashback you know effect and it's like all about mark like going on a pro tennis tour and leaving her behind and not taking her with him and of course it kind of results in him just kind of being a failure or whatever but i mean and then we learn about the locket which is the right titular device of the episode so but but this is just like to feed back to crystal's abandonment issues of blake too so it starts with mark but it kind of like comes to full bloom with blake because you know he's here he is going off to bali and she's packing her bags and he won't let her go with him blake Please, please, don't shut me out. You need me now. I don't need anybody to help me fight my battles, Crystal. Not even me. Nobody. And now she's just having the same, you know, sort of like locked in the closet, tied, bound, and beaten feelings about like Blake that she had about Mark. But I do like that it seems like she's trying to take ownership of ending or creating finality with that relationship which i guess it never really did have oh no she made a hot mess of that she's with her and mark she is such a flubstress because like most of the time she sits around in her vanity peering in the mirror and thinking about the past or she's like you know tromping around the pool and thinking about steven and is he here or is he not but now, like, she tries to, like, make a firm action to change something in her life. And she can't. She drives her, you know, her freaking Rolls Royce to La Mirage, which is already a mistake. We already know what happens when you go to La Mirage. That's the land of the Lotus Eaters. You go there and you get opiated and nothing happens after that when you're there. It's a trap. Uh, and sure well, enough, her that's, her... that's not her, her fault. Wayward, that's Frank's fault. Well, yeah, her wayward family relation is, like, hot on her heels and his trashy Plymouth 220 or whatever that stupid car is. Now, I have to give props to Frank, a.k.a. Sammy Joe's daddy, because that man can smell money from thousands of miles away. Steven's body hasn't even been recovered yet. But he wants Sammy Joe, who, as you know, we remember that she was married to Stephen. What's the marriage property laws in Denver? Like, is she tiled to half of that stuff? Clearly, they didn't have a prenup because they got married in some ramshackled house by some old people. So, well, if it's an Aaron Spelling production, it just means somebody from Fantasy Island is going to show up and reverse everything. So, you better watch out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so he wants that money, honey, and he follows her all the way to Lombard. Mirage. Now, I do think that she is to blame a little bit for that altercation because she didn't valet. Um, do you think Crystal trusts anybody with her convertible Rolls Royce? Well, whatever. It's clearly just set up maybe so the, Mark Jennings can come good save the day. 
in his, you know, baby blue trousers and red sweater. And I'm kind of surprised they didn't have him like literally beat the shit out of Frank. Like he just kind of roughed him up a little bit. Well, it's interesting because we have a, a different director here. I'm not sure if he's ever done any prior yes, episodes. Yes, Jerome Cortland. But, yeah, but I think he's done other episodes. Yeah, I, I feel like the name's familiar, but I don't know. It sounds like a name of any director of bad TV in the 80s. So I don't know. But it does start off with this like weird shot of her in the oval mirror. And then like you get some other interesting like directorial choices. So I feel like maybe that was a choice too, was don't beat the shit out of Frank Dean because the audience wants it so much, but you're not going to give it to them. Uh, it's also interesting that like Frank Dean's like in like Sears catalog attire from like 1974. Yeah, totally it's, stuck it's in the like past. Yuppie, and, as Ohio yeah, like race car driver. Yuppie scum versus poor trash. Like which stereotype is worse? And Crystal has to choose between the two. Who does she give the golden apple? I mean, frankly, I I I, I don't like either of the characters, but of course she's going to get herself into a, a trust bond with Mark over this. And now like, you know, uh, Blake's going to have a whole reason to think that she's screwing around on him while he's in Bali. Yeah. Even though, frankly, don't you think that... I keep saying frankly. Even though, don't you think that... Because Frank's in this episode. I know. Played by Matt Clark, uh, who has reprises the role. I was very happy to see. And you know that that guy is still alive? He is 83 years young. I think it's just him and Joan and Linda. I think everybody else is gone now. <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, he was, um, you know, he was on Walker, Texas Ranger and Chicago Hope. And um, I didn't realize this, but then it kind of clicked for me. He played... Uncle Henry in Return to Oz. Yeah, that was kind of like an eye-opener i forgot about that movie and that character but yeah i mean he mostly came up in like the time of westerns so he was yeah. in a lot of westerns yeah, and, and stuff and he, in the he kind of like he's a stock character in that way he did definitely plays towards it which so it's like fine like what he's wearing and what he's doing it all kind of makes sense even though it's the flashy 80s on dynasty still well as mark jennings says you know he's gonna break his good old boy neck so he's just a good old boy i mean it's interesting we were even feeling that way back then i mean those those are political controversies that still hold up today mm-hmm. disturbingly so don't you think that blake went to bali to find lady boys that's why he wants to leave crystal behind and he doesn't need her doesn't want her no there aren't really lady boys in bali now have you been to bali no no definitely not i have do you have any questions about what bali is really like versus how it is depicted in dynasty i'm gonna be like crystal i don't want to know what blake's getting on to in bali <laughs> don't tell me it's weird to me how this is set in bali i feel like if there was some like oil business stuff it would have been in like jakarta like bali is like a maybe it was uncharted territory <sighs> You know, this is capitalism at work, folks. Like, find the next opportunity. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't. It seems like they were just trying to be exotic by setting this in Bali. But I, don't I, I know. yeah, this was just an excuse because they'd already used a back of So they're like, well, what's what's another cheap international destination? Now you know, Frank and Mark Jennings weren't the only people coming to fisticuffs. Jeff laid his hands on Joseph the bitchy butler, aka yeah, the malicious major domo, aka the domineering normally, daddy. Normally, I would be down for let's rough up Joseph, but at this point, like I've kind of realized he's a little bit of a sympathetic character, and 
Also, the way that it's done with like Jeff going bonkers because Adam is literally playing head games with him. Yeah, it's not actually. It doesn't really work. Yeah, Yeah. you can't really blame anybody here. Although I don't know, I think that Joseph is being a bit too controlling. Although I guess there's nothing really wrong with not wanting your daughter to fuck a married guy. So well, I mean, Joseph's in charge of the dining room and kitchen. So why wouldn't he be in charge of his daughter's vagina? Yeah, I mean, he goes to Jeff's office, which I I liked, you know, he, you know, Joseph, here's the thing, as much as he annoys me, he keeps everything above board, he dots his I's and crosses his T's, you know. He makes sure that cake gets frosted. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Jeff is not of sound mind, so he does not take to Joseph telling him not to bang Kirby Anders lightly. So then he starts kind of roughing him up. It seems like Joseph has been manhandled before because he doesn't really give Jeff any kind of reaction. He's just kind of like looks at his hands and is like, well, do you want to get your paws off Joseph me now? Joseph has spent the better part of the last 28 years being Blake's gimp. So <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> this is all like familiar territory for him. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like Joseph's going to get his way because... Jeff is fueled by that shade of teal and Kirby is like a hot little piece of ass that's going to do whatever she wants. And what she does not want to do is Adam Carrington. He has turned full on mustache twirling villain. Tie him to the railroad tracks. I'm waiting for him to go. They have poor Gordon Thompson like looking into the camera giving us dirty looks at this point the the writers they feel very comfortable with what this character is capable of because gordon thompson has made this character work and i wasn't sure about him the first time i ever saw you know whatever first episode he shows up in but i fully embrace the psychotic nature of adam carrington because He's even you don't like, think it's a little one-dimensional? It's starting to get it same seems like me. it, but then like more things keep being introduced. Like he's like stroking his mother as she's grieving and he's calling her mother. I mean, he's like basically Anthony Perkins as the original psycho. 100%. Keeps calling her mother, mother, mother. Like Oh, no. So there's something like kind of uncomfortable <laughs> he's and unsettling about He's going to put that. Alexis Carrington in the basement for sure. <laughs> yeah. Her skeleton will be there forever. In like a a brass and glass rocking chair or something. There's this like scene where Kirby is doing Pilates with a perambulator. I suppose she's like... I believe it was bar method. I don't know. Whatever the hell it is. She's soothing the Prince Royal on the Carrington grounds. Psycho Adam drives up in the most psycho car ever, which is a 1982 Lincoln Mark VI with... Didn't you own a... That yes, I'm a psycho too. Takes one to know one. So that's why I'm... <laughs> of all of my, my, the vintage cars I've ever owned, this was like my favorite because it's so mediocre and it's ugly. And it's a really stripped down restyling of the Mark V, which is wildly popular. I think Ford sold like a quarter million of those cars in two or three years. But then government gas regulations like kicked in and they had to downsize everything. Anyway, so you got an even, even less powerful motor. Uh, and okay, this isn't a car podcast. But it's it not. Definitely- it definitely no, seems I, like he made this choice of this vehicle either like 
it was a hand-me-down from Cecil or <laughs> remember Blake was trying to give him that sporty what was it a Porsche or Miata oh yeah this is like the exact opposite it's the of the antithesis Porsche. of like, that it only cost about mm, $24,000 at that year which would be about mm, $65,000 in today money I don't know I think that little Blake's baby carriage probably cost as much Did actually that baby that carriage thing? and that car are sort of the same idea because they're these sort of reach backs to 1920s, 30s you know automobile styling where there's like the covered headlights but then they have like the funky parking lamps on top of them and the vinyl roof and the oval opera window and the wide white wall tires did you think for a second that he was just going to keep driving right into that baby carriage because that's what i thought was going to happen in a weird way it's adam's baby carriage it's like you know personal luxury vehicle that doesn't really do much but put you to sleep i'm really uneasy with adam and kirby and clearly she is too because every time he's around she just like recoils like she's got ptsd and again Adam is just veered way too much think... into this villainous role that it makes me... Yeah, I don't think Adam's even into her on a sexual level. I think it's more about the game and how much can he screw with her mind, not with her betwixt thighs. But it also seems like he has so much confidence. And is that just because he grew up in Billings, so he was able to like snatch all of the pussy that he wanted? So Big fish in a small sea. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. It's just so bizarre the way that he acts. A love bizarre. I mean, he's still kind of like flirting with his sister, too, even when he's like trying to console her about her dead gay brother. It's weird. Look, he's basically this close to like romancing his mother on the couch while she's grieving for Stevens. Yeah, they were like humping. You know, he's willing to use any dynamic to control a woman. Uh, We'll see how he works out with men because so far he and and Jeff are not a good match because Jeff's like under the influence of teal paint. But yeah, I mean, he's trying to like come for him, but I don't know. I guess I appreciate the big dick energy of Adam Carrington, but... I don't like how it kind of ends up playing out. It just seems hokey. Well, another hokey thing about Adam is like he just like dresses like a grandfather. He's you know? dressing like Blake. It's so yeah. weird. Ooh, yes. Mm, good call out because like, yeah, basically he's just trying to groom himself and everybody else around him to accept him as the next Blake. So he's probably planning on Blake being dead at some point so he can take over the Empire. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that psychotic, as soon as Blake got on the plane to Bali, that he went in his closet and started wearing his, like, boxers he's and like cardigan He's, like, cross-dressing, sweaters. but as Blake Carrington. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not cross-dressing because they're the same gender. I know. That's, that's the joke, baby. Anyway, well, we're talking about clothes now, so we might as well wrap things up and talk about our looks of the week we didn't really talk about the most important thing which was the third act the third act of this this whole episode winds up with uh, alexis and blake you know in bali and i like that she just kind of like walks in the room when like he's having his little row with the I don't know. I, what is this guy? The foreman, the inspector, the flight attendant? I have no idea. I don't know who this guy is. He's just a, a white man of some privilege that controls certain things. So anyway, that's why Blake's consorting with him to go find Steven or the remains thereof. Yeah, and it's this kind of like Indiana Jones yeah, adventure just that we're all with it. Don't, don't question it too much. And 
I'm here for it. I'm but here who's here to it. really question it? Alexa. She walks in the door like she's just always the uninvited guest. And it doesn't matter because she's kind of like queen of the world. Like other than Blake. She has a 50% yes. stake in this. This right. is her son. So 100%, not 50%. And... I just love that she like flits in with her tube top and her glamorous silver lame giraffe print throwaway whatever shawl cape thing. I don't know. I don't know what the fuck that is. But anyway, she's there to like stir up trouble and she certainly does. I absolutely detest this place. My room is full of insects. The entire hotel staff don't speak 10 words of English between them. And I've got this dreadful feeling that the news that we're waiting for can only be bad. But the best part about how she stirs up trouble is she kind of just winds up the clockwork and then lets it go because as she exits the room after she's pissed off Blake a little bit, which really is her MO, she just likes pissing off Blake. No, but this is different. This isn't like a Rome situation where she set up this scheme. They're both desperate. Their son is probably dead for all they know. So she's not trying to like fuck him or screw him over. Steven is what they both care about. But even in that moment, Blake... And this is her fault because she's like had so many schemes for the past year and a half. Well, her problem is she's a big dreamer. She just puts all of these creative ideas out into the world, a.k.a. schemes. They're not dreams, they're schemes. Sometimes they pay off, sometimes they don't. But she ends up getting tangled up in a lot of these things because she's put too much out there. And she can't, you know, manage all of it herself, but she's not going to trust anybody else to do it for her. So, you know, now she has to kind of, like, recover because, like, Blake kind of calls her out. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. He's like, you're coming in here to fuck me and then you're gonna go tell crystal about it although mm-hmm. it did kind of seem like he was like well i would would have fucked you if you wouldn't have told crystal yeah. about it i like that take on it because this is really <laughs> this is really an episode of swinging couples with exes because it's like crystal going back to mark blake yeah. going back to to are Alexis. you allowed to bang your ex right even but it's if always like just to. to the edge they never quite you know jump off the cliff so like neither of these couples like goes back to where they I came from. I don't think any of these couples really wants to have sex with no, each No they really don't. So it's fine. So it's, it's a real testament of like actual love like these people are just romantically interested in each other. It's not even really about the P and V. It's just more about the, the heart of it all. But yeah. anyway it, it, you know Alexis gets rightfully called out by Blake you know that she's hatching another scheme but she can't, the girl can't help it like she just puts another bonbon on on the conveyor belt and lucy can't eat him up fast enough and you know in the end she has to just tell blake well you just sit back and watch i can i'm not going to spoil it for you you're just going to experience how this all unfolds before your eyes and it's all alexis's plot that she hatched you know so well i'm really excited because it's all set up because we've got the the pilot who's gonna fly blake and i guess alexis through the storm to see if steven's still alive i mean this could be like a romancing the stone situation years before romancing the stone even came out so i don't know i just love everything that was set up here i love the character development mark jennings is totally growing on me i think jeffrey scott is really feeling comfortable in the character even kirby i don't like love her or anything but i think kathleen beller is feeling more comfortable anymore so i don't know it's real juicy so i'm excited to see what happens in next week's episode Now it's time for the part of the episode where Kyler and I decide our looks of the week. Well, mine was hands down. I mean, there was a couple you of things not pick mine. here and there, but 
I fucking Ooh, I'm be loved hot. Crystal no. in her turquoise. No. God damn it. Is that, that was your, mine too. I was for sure you weren't going to pick she that one. She was romancing the stone. Hell yeah. She turquoise was romancing my eyeballs. I mean, I wanted to wear this like Memorial Day weekend. See, this is when I am affirmed though that aesthetics are not subjective. <laughs> what you do you can, mean? Because we both looked at something very independently and said, out of all the ridiculous Nolan Miller outfits in this show, this was the one. Yeah. We both identified this, and I love that. Well, I mean, I think we normally veer towards what they give Alexis to wear. I mean, I think we can both agree that the young ladies, Kirby and Fallon, they're trolling them. I think yeah. I'm starting to think that there's it's, some some some. It's too much merry-go-round wear or something. I, I don't know what's going on with the young folks Fallon on Fallon was literally dressed up as Violet Beauregard mm. again, or like... Nay, uh, Wicked Witch of the Wicked East. Witch of the West. West. I think. Think. South, Witch of- South, Southwest. The Wicked Witch what of the Southwest. World. I mean, literally, she was coming in to pick up that phone call from Blake, and I was like, dun, 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 dun. I mean, this she is. She was nuts. flying on a broom. And yeah, Pamela Sue Martin, we know, has got that body, oddy, oddy, like, and they're going to put her, like, cover li- her literally well, neck this is like sort of the or origin story of how young folks shrugged their shoulders at proper fashion no i don't think that the young folks had any call in this i think oh you're just gonna blame nolan miller for i all think nolan this. miller was doing it right. i don't know but you know Mayhaps. you'd think aaron spelling would have chimed in and been like uh can oh, we aaron get some spelling tits out there please about the clothes but yeah, something about Crystal and resort wear just clicks for me. Like last week, we had her in Acapulco. This week, we have her not in Bali, but I think she probably packed this for Bali. And she was like, well, Blake didn't let me go to Bali, but I'm going to wear what I was going to wear to the pool. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's a that's a fun take. I mean, we got I another th- plunging neckline. I think a lot of this is about we're so burnt out on Alexis's, you know, very well tailored suits and, and well draped gowns and things like she looked great this episode i'm not gonna complain you know like in fact there were a couple of things in here that i almost eh, sort of identified but i was for sure that you were gonna call out that last scene where she wears the the silver what is that lame the yeah sort of like giraffe print silver lame cape thing yeah i mean it looked great but i have to say functionality as somebody who's been to bali no you would never wear something yeah and it looked like something that would melt if you got near a, a lit cigarette so I yeah don't, I don't, well also I'm shocked like, that alexis would be so cheap it's not breathable at mm-hmm. all and i'm sure that hotel in bali did not have central air conditioning none of the ones i'd well in she did. already gave her like you know savage trip advisor review of <laughs> second rate hotels in bali insects and they don't speak english mm, no mean, way I, I can get behind that so yes i i love this look it's because it's also this like uh interesting opaque patterned i don't know what it is like I don't think it's just like a, a horizontal well, line. It, it's sort of horizontal, but then it's cut on the bias. So you get like a chevron and on the back scene. That's true. That's true. Which complements the plunging neckline on the front. Uh, and she keeps it simple too because you the, could the turquoise, the turquoise hubcap earrings. Yeah. yeah. You could have totally done like a statement necklace with this, which I maybe wish she would have, but 
That's know. classic crystal dressing, though. Show like, off them bronze she, titties, she baby. She never over-accessorizes. That's one thing I'll give this character, and it kind of fits in with her whole, like, mopey, dreamy, watery, like, just contemplating kind of character. Like, you know, she's not stating anything so there is no chunky necklace to go with this mm-hmm. which by the way would have been a little bit 70s with this outfit maybe so I, you know it works well while i'm thinking about boobies i have to say this is the episode where i realized that kathleen beller is not an a cup oh my god she was wearing a little sweater vest situation and i kind of see maybe maybe it's not the lead paint maybe jeff just is a boob man because she's got some knockers on her with the sweater vest boobies mm-hmm. again i don't think that they're giving kirby or fallon the best clothes but uh you know when kirby goes to uh console jeff she's got them tiggo bitties you know my my grand- grandfather had a kirby vacuum cleaner that lasted for 60 years before we got rid of it oh wow i mean you just change the oil and give it a lube job every six months well thanks for joining us for another episode of dynasty as they want to be kyler thank you for joining me again we don't even talk about the locket why the hell was this even called that i'd i'd rather they call it turquoise earrings than the locket mirror mirror on the wall and i want to especially thank the listeners for listening i know it's a crazy well, time that's what right listeners now. do they listen yeah but they could also just be non-listeners i don't know how it works but thank you for joining us we appreciate your support if you want to support the podcast financially we do have a patreon set up it's patreon.com slash nasty podcast and if you want to follow us between episodes we're at nasty podcast i wanted to give a little bit of a call out to one of our fans uh christina harwell she's uh at stina harwell i think i'm pronouncing that correctly on instagram anyway you know joan's birthday was uh recently and she posted the most beautiful tribute about joan and alexis and how it helped her through her divorce we couldn't do it so i'm glad somebody else yeah i'm not gonna read it because it's kind of long but also it's beautiful so you should go read it for yourself she's on instagram it's stina S-T-I-N-A, Harwell, I believe that's how, that's how it's pronounced, H-A-H-R-W-E-L-L. Anyway, go read her little tribute to Joan because it'll bring a, a tear to your eye. But also, did you know that both Joan and Alexis are Gemini? All the best actors are Geminis. Or Libras, one or the other. Or Capricorns. No, Capricorns are terrible actors. <sighs> Betty White is a Capricorn. Beatrice Arthur and Rue McClanahan were not. <laughs> all right anyway go follow us on instagram we'll be here for the next episode uh the search so go follow us on social media leave us a review if you haven't already if you haven't and you listen all the time what the hell is wrong with you you gotta tell other people to listen to this stupid ass show but we'll be here next week for the episode the search so are we gonna find stephen carrington i don't know i wasn't even searching for anything so it's all brownies and walnuts to me
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.